Okay, welcome to our Bible study today. By the way, we are almost done with this Bible study on real-world parenting, coming to the end of our discussion on this very important topic of raising, training, and working with children, whether they are your children or someone else's children. If God has given you the privilege and the honor, which is how I see it, to work with children, then I hope that this has been a help to you. Now, look, you may not agree with everything that I've said throughout this series, and that's not necessary. You don't have to agree with everything that I've said. I would hope that what I've said has challenged your thinking and maybe has caused you to consider in your family with your children, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, students in your class, the things that I've said, how they might be a help to you. But this is not a Bible study where I'm saying it has to be done exactly this way in every situation for every child to be successful because the truth is this, not every child is the same. Not every family is the same. Not every situation is the same. And I don't have the, the knowledge, wisdom, or omnipresence to give you advice on every single child for every single situation. I'm more so giving you main points to consider and ask, how does that apply to this situation in my family, in my classroom, with the children in my life? So we were talking about discipline, and we're going to finish that up today, and then we'll have one more main topic to discuss next Sunday. I'll probably be done with this series by the end of October, and then we'll start something new in, in November. So we're talking about discipline, and uh, I had stated that uh, discipline becomes abuse. There's a line that you can cross, whether the discipline is verbal, it can become verbal abuse, or if it's physical, it can become physical abuse. If it's discipline that affects their emotions, which for most kids it will, it can become emotional abuse when you cross the line. So what is the line that separates discipline from abuse? I believe extremely, very strongly that what is on one side of the line is missing on the other side of the line. I'm not stating there aren't other factors, but I'm going to give you two. Two main, I believe, principles that will keep you on the side of discipline and away from abuse. Because you could have one person doing the same thing to their children, saying the same thing, doing the same thing. One is abusing their child. One is disciplining their child. And I believe these two things I'm about to tell you are what separates these two dads, these two moms, these two people, these two teachers, whatever, from disciplining their children separately uh, in their homes. All right. The first one, I believe, is love. Love is what allows you to discipline a child. And when you do not love but are correcting, you are very close, if not have already passed the line of abuse. It is important, first of all, that you know that you love that child. If you have a child in your life, a student, a nephew, a niece, a grandchild, I would hope this would not apply to your own direct children. But if that's the case and you're struggling in life right now and you, you aren't sure how you feel about this child, I don't know if I love this child. I don't know if I like this child, right? Again, I'm hoping this is not your children we're talking about. But if that is the case, you need to not discipline. I'm not saying you let the child fend for themselves. I am not stating that that child is left to themselves. The Bible tells us what happens to a child left to themselves. In the book of Proverbs, they bring shame and dishonor to their loved ones. 
first to themselves and then indirectly to their loved ones. So do not leave a child to themselves. You need to fix what is the problem. Before you help a child, you must first find help for yourself. And what is it that you need? You need to love that child. What is keeping you from loving the child? Is it selfishness? Because here's the problem with people in our lives. They require effort. <laughs> people require effort. They require an emotional, uh, giving emotionally, giving financially, giving you know, physically. We've got to do things for them on their behalf. It requires work to love someone. And sometimes we are just... Uh, we, are, we are spent. We are overloved. Like, not in the sense of a lot of people love us. We love a lot of people, and it's draining us. And so when you look at this child, you say, yes, superficially, I love this child. I, I mean, I love everyone in my life. I love everyone in my family. So, of course, I love this child. Yeah, academically you do. Superficially you do. Verbally, you can say that and not be a liar. But how deep does that love go? Here's what I believe about discipline. The deeper your love, the more effective your discipline. The more shallow your love, the more likely you are crossing into the realm of abuse, causing trauma, and you are being counterproductive in that child's life. The more you love my child, my five children, the more you show love to my children, the more I will trust you to correct them when I'm not around. There are people in this church who know my family and know my children very well. They have invested in us. They've been in this church long enough to have done that. Some of them are teachers. Some of them are church members. Some of them are younger. Some of them are older. But I'll tell you this. If I know that you love my child, you're not going to have me correcting you when you correct my child. If one of my children are running around causing havoc and you stop and correct them and you love my children, I know you love my children, I'm going to say thank you. I'm gonna, or I'm not saying anything at all and just smile and say I'm glad they took care of that, Right? But some random stranger, a visitor in our church, someone who's only been here two or three times, they stop and correct my child. I'm not going to embarrass that person, but I am going to step in and stop that (laughs) because they don't have the ability to correct my child if they don't love and know my child. Parents, it is very important that you only allow people to discipline your child who love your child because if they don't, they are more likely to hurt and harm your child than to help and direct your child. And it is very important that when you correct your child, the child in your life, that your love is not just a, oh, I love them, you say that you love them, but there is actual true 1 Corinthians 13 love, which is, and I'll tell you the hardest part, in my opinion, maybe this is just me, maybe this is my downfall, the hardest part about loving others and the thing that keeps you from loving others the way they need, not the way they deserve. Forget this whole they deserve things. No one deserves anything. We're all sinners. We're all rotten. We all have issues. You don't love people the way they deserve. You love people the way they need. And I will tell you the one thing that is most likely going to hinder you from loving them the way they need. And that one thing is sitting in your seat. You do love them You just love yourself more. It's not that you won't sacrifice for them. You just love yourself too much to sacrifice for them enough to what they need from you. I have talked with a lot of people over the years, husbands, wives, teenagers, children, and 
a lot of times when dealing with relationship problems, it is not a lack of love in the relationship. The husband loves the wife. The wife loves the husband. The teenagers love the parents. The parents love the children. That would all be true. What is going on is the husband loves the wife, but he loves himself more. The wife loves her husband, but she loves herself more. The parents love their children, but they're also more selfish than they're willing to admit. Oh, the teenagers love the parents, but their selfishness is just overflowing. They love themselves too much. And so when you love yourself, it's really hard to sacrifice for others because that is love. That's the essence of love. It's various forms of sacrifice. And it's really hard to sacrifice when you love yourself so much. And so do not let someone discipline your, li- your children or children in your life when you recognize they have an issue of selfishness. I would not willingly, purposefully hire a teacher at Mid-State Christian Academy that was oozing selfishness because I would know if they are living selfishness so strongly that it's obvious to me and I just met them or I've only talked to them three times, then I know that their discipline is going to be abusive in the classroom. I know that about them. I know that about what will happen. I don't have to ever see them teach. I don't have to ever see them discipline. I know for a fact that if you put a teacher in a classroom who is selfish, their discipline will be traumatic and abusive. You show me a mom or a dad who is selfish, and it's all about them. I'm not saying they don't love their children. Obviously, you know, the kids are living with them. They're caring for them for their basic needs. But I will tell you this, not having, I won't have to walk into their home. I don't have to listen to any correction. I will guarantee you that the way they correct their children is more abusive than helpful and more traumatic than healing. I guarantee you that fact. Because selfish people step over the line all too often into abuse. Why? Because it's hard to show love when you love yourself so much. It's hard to give love when you love yourself too much. And discipline without love is abuse. Well, Let's take a look at uh, one of our references this morning. I'd like to see here in Second uh, Peter, or I'm sorry, First Peter, excuse me. First Peter, we're going to be taking a look at uh, a famous passage of Scripture where we're, we're told that love covers many sins. And uh, this is actually not just in the book of First Peter alone. It's also found in... Um, in the Old Testament, it's actually First Peter is a mention, I believe, of a uh, Old Testament passage of Scripture where it's repeating. And the idea that love covers sins isn't that um, that you are ignoring what they're doing. Love covering the sins of others doesn't mean that you are pretending that they are perfect and that you are uh, not going to deal with their sin or that you walk away from their, their wrong and not deal with it. Because we stated on Wednesday night, Matthew chapter 18, how it's so important that when someone has wronged you to confront them. When someone has caused a pain in your life, that you would address it. In fact, in Matthew 18, that same chapter deals with forgiveness. I had spoken on this on Wednesday. And uh, it is not that because we love people, we let them walk over us. That cannot be the case because if we love people, again, we want what is best for them, not just what feels good for us. Because what feels for good for us is often going to be, well, I'll just not confront it. I'm going to ignore it because conf- confrontation is hard. Right, Talking to someone about something they've done to wrong you or talking to someone about maybe a wrong you've done to them is a hard thing. And most people take the easy path 
and uh, they just walk away altogether and decide that it's not worth it to confront someone. And yet in Matthew chapter 18, the Bible's pretty clear. That is exactly how it should look for us. Why? Because God wants us to help people find success. And someone is not going to find success if you enable them to continue in their sin. When you let someone continually hurt you, when you let someone continually hurt themselves, when you let someone continually hurt others, you are not helping them. You are, you are enabling them towards self-destruction. So confrontation is a necessary, painful step towards keeping people from self-destruction. Confrontation is a necessary step to keep you from self-destruction. When you have caused offense to someone else, whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, humbling yourself and forcing yourself to be confronted keeps yourself on the path of success. Young children usually don't have that naturally in their lives. Most young children don't have the maturity level, the courage to confront in a proper way offenses caused to them or caused by them. And so as adults, you show them how that looks. But children will learn from us. And if we confront them without love, you are training them to confront others without love. If we confront them in selfishness, what's best for me, you are training them to confront others in selfishness, what's best for them. So you need to show a child what it looks like to confront them in love. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. And above all things, have fervent, sincere, deep, passionate charity or love among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Trauma is an emo- a deep emotional pain from which someone has not found healing, often caused by another individual. There can be trauma caused by yourself. You made a choice that traumatized yourself. You, you did something that brought trauma in your life. But trauma is often caused by other people. This idea that love covers sins, again, does not mean you enable. That's not healthy. That's not helpful. The idea of covering sins means you don't keep bringing it back up and, and pointing at it every time they make a mistake. You don't keep uh, holding this in front of their head as a way to blackmail them towards something you want to do, controlling them or manipulating them. Love covering sins means I love you, and therefore I'm willing to move on from this with you. I'm willing to move on. I want to move on. Not fr- I'm not wanting to move away from you. I want to move on with you. Because love covering sins is, is very uh, close to this idea of forgiveness and mercy. And you can't have forgiveness and mercy in someone's life when you are looking to destroy them. There are times where the best thing you do is move away from someone because they're not good for you, you're not good for them. But when it comes to children, obviously that's not the case, right? When it comes to our children, especially underage children, you don't kick your kid, your four-year-old out of the house. You don't kick your eight-year-old out of the house, right? Adult children, a different scenario. But underage children... This covering of sins must require that you move on with them. Do your children feel in their soul that you have moved on with them? See, one of the dangers of being at a Christian school so long is you know the students from when they were young, very young, and you saw them grow up, and you saw all the mistakes and the foolishness 
that they had in their lives. And this is where you can really do harm or really do good. Because a student knows what you know. They know that you saw them during their bad times. They're, they're here at school. They're with you more than they are with their own parents in most cases. And so students have to know that you're not holding what they did two years ago over their head today. Teenagers have to know that they made a lot of mistakes last year, but this is a new year, and they have to know that you're going to let them and you together move on with them. They have to know that. Because if they think you're still going to see them from their three-year-old self, then they're not going to want to grow with you. They're not going to want to uh, listen to you or be corrected by you because they won't think you love them. The same is true with our children. Our children are with us more than anyone else, maybe other than their teachers that I just stated, depending on how your family dynamic works. But aside from your teachers, they're with you more than anyone else if they're your children. And so you see the good, the bad, and the ugly in the children in your life. And are you willing to move on with that child in your life? Are you willing to say, hey, you messed up, you made a mistake, let's address it, let's confront it, and let's move on from it? Love. I'm not going to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. I've already preached through 1 Corinthians 13 and how that looks in a family dynamic. But I will say one more time, you are going to be your own worst enemy when it comes to loving your child or any child in your life. If you cannot eliminate selfishness in your life, you will not be the mom or the dad that your child needs. You will not be the teacher or the coach that that child needs. You have got to completely destroy selfishness before you can really help that child. But if you can, if you can make life not about you, you are in a position to really help these children. It is a whole lot easier to help a child than it is an adult. It's a whole lot easier to correct a child than it is an adult. And in my opinion, it's a whole lot easier to love a child than it is an adult. You are essentially set up for success to help children find success if you'll just get your pride out of the way and realize I'm dealing with a life, not just the life this child has now, but the choices I make and the way I deal with this child, the way I discipline this child is going to affect their future life, their adult life, which in turn indirectly will affect their marriage and their own children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. The way you discipline a child, well, how you discipline, when you discipline, what you discipline, all of these things have far-reaching consequences. And unfortunately, most of us can barely think past the last five minutes and the next 10 minutes. We are thinking in, in windows of five to 15 minutes, what just happened and what I want to be fixed right now. And you act that way. You talk that way. The child sees that. They see, you don't see me for the bigger picture. You don't see, you know, how I was two hours ago. You didn't see how I was three days ago. I messed up, and now you treat me like I'm the worst person in the world. Like there's a bigger part of me than just the last five minutes. And there will be a bigger part of that child than the next ten minutes. We've got to see past, guys. Got to see past today. Got to see past now. You even have to see past this child's childhood into their adult life, into their marriage, into their future relationships, into the children they will have. Because here is an important truth. When working with children, you are not just training children 
to be adults. You are training children how to, in the future, train children. Think about that. A lot of you, the way you train your children is largely due to how you were trained, good or bad. You've had to fight some of the things you knew were not done well, and it's ingrained in you, and that is your nature to do that. You have to fight to not do what was done to you because it was trained in you. And the good you've seen and said, I want to repeat that. But what about the children who don't fight what is the bad, and they take the bad with them and just default to that? You are training children how to, when they're adults, train children. That's a big responsibility, a lot bigger than the last five minutes and the next ten minutes, a lot bigger. Train with love. So you can train children when they're older to train children also with love. They will see what it looks like, and it will be their default mode because that's what they grew up with. Train with love, adults. So I said there's two things. Two two things that keep you on this side of the line of discipline rather than stepping over the line into abuse. So if the first thing that keeps you on this side is love, what's the second thing that keeps you away from crossing the line into abuse? I would say it is uncontrolled wrath. Now, wrath itself is a deep anger. There are really good reasons to be deeply angry about what people do. God himself has experienced deep wrath. The Bible in both the Old and New Testament is pretty clear on times where God has wrath towards humanity. And God's wrath has even driven God to action. There have been times in the Old Testament where God's wrath drove him towards extreme judgment, the flood being an example. In the New Testament, extreme judgment, the tribulation period being an example, right? Which is actually literally called the day of wrath. So it's not that you can't act on wrath. It's not that you shouldn't act on wrath. It's that wrath shouldn't control you. And there is a difference between righteous anger leading to righteous action or unrighteous anger leading to righteous action, not good, or righteous anger leading to unrighteous action, also not good, right? You see the combination there? It needs to be righteous anger leading to righteous action. Well, Pastor Russ, if the unrighteous anger led to righteous action, The action itself is okay, so then what's the problem with the unrighteous anger? Because Jesus Christ tells us, if you have anger, unrighteous anger, I'm paraphrasing, towards your brother, unnecessary, um, uh, where there was no cause for, he says, without cause, then you have murdered them in your own heart. (laughs) Just because your actions may be righteous, the anger, unrighteous, without cause anger, towards anyone, child or adult, itself is a problem. And righteous action doesn't justify unrighteous anger. And by the way, an adult and even some children will recognize, well, your action may have been right, but the cause, what caused that action was mistaken. And so I appreciate that you didn't get all crazy on me. I appreciate you kept your calm. I appreciate you talked to me. But what drove you to this was a mistake. What drove you to this was pride. What drove you to this was foolishness or ignorance. And if you knew the truth, we wouldn't be having this conversation to begin with. Unrighteous anger brought you to this. And I'm glad you didn't destroy your testimony through it, but you need to figure out the difference between righteous and unrighteous anger. So what's the difference? Well, righteous anger would be anger that is right. Unrighteous anger would be anger that is wrong. (laughs) And so what's the two? Well, Christ gives us a definition without cause is wrong. 
If you are angry without cause, that is the definition in that context that Christ gives of don't hate your brother, uh, do not be angry towards your brother without cause. So what would be anger without cause? Meaning, if you are angry with someone else for something that happened to you outside of their control, that's without cause. They didn't cause the hurt in your life. Why are you angry with them? Because they're in my life, because they're in my house. How many parents, moms and dads, have something happen to them at work and bring that anger into the home? The children are not the cause of that anger. Unfortunately, the children are going to receive the brunt of that anger. That's anger without cause directed towards someone who did not earn it or deserve it. You're angry at the way God has or has not been dealing in your life, and there's something you did want or didn't want, and God's been working on your life, and it's causing you some anger, and you're taking it out on people. You're angry with your health, something beyond your control. You've done your best, but your health is just not what you want it to be, and so it causes you anger towards people in your life. They didn't cause your illness. They're not affecting your illness, but because of your, your, your pain, emotional or physical pain, you are allowing unrighteous, without cause anger to be directed at people. And I got to tell you, children are the easiest target. And most adults choose the easiest target. Are there times where children do stupid things that require righteous anger? Most definitely. Are there times where adults do dumb things? Most definitely. You need to right now recognize not all anger is righteous anger. Anger without a cause, unrighteous, unnecessary, needs to stop. And if there are issues in your life causing high stress, which leads to quick anger, then deal with those issues and start stop taking it out on innocent children or innocent adults. Because even if you have righteous action and you control your action, but there is action based off of without cause unrighteous anger, you're still wrong. And you are still crossing the line into abuse. Because the children, whether righteous action or not, don't deserve any action because they weren't the cause for it. Teachers who have a bad day, we need to fix that bad day before we correct students in our class. There have been times, and it's, it's inevitable, right? You work with kids long enough, it's going to happen. You have kids, it's going to happen. No parent, if they have kids longer than any few, in a few years, is going to be able to say, oh, I've never done that, really. Are you even home then? Because, like, if you're around kids, it's going to happen, right? It has happened in my life towards my kids. I've had to apologize to my own children. I'm sorry. I should not have dealt with that at all in the way that I did. I was upset about other things, and I apologize. I've done that more than once, apologize to my kids. I've apologized to students at our school because I've done that here too. I try not to make that a habit. I try not to make that the what is first known or seen about me. But again, if you work with kids, it's going to happen. You have a bad day, and a child does something that does not deserve really anger. They're just children. It deserves correction, but not anger. There is no righteous anger that can be justified for, for the child you know, tapping his pencil. That just needs to be, hey, you know, stop, stop tapping your pencil. But when we're having a bad day, the child on the desk, now we are angry without cause because this doesn't deserve anger, does not justify anger. And on a normal day, we wouldn't. But this is not a normal day. 
And so now we have righteous or unrighteous action towards that child tapping their pencil on the desk because we're having a bad day, not because that child deserves our wrath. Doing it occasionally is human nature. What is the spiritual condition is repenting of it. Well, I would never say sorry to a child. Well, then you got a problem, and that problem is self. One of the best things you can do for a child is to show them how repentance looks as an adult. Show them how I truly am sorry I should not have done that, and I'll, I'll try to do better. Tell them that. A child is never too young to hear an adult apologize for what they did wrong. So am I asking adults to be perfect? No. I'm asking adults to be humble, to be thoughtful. Consider before your wrath is displayed, is it, does it have cause towards the person which would the wrath is being evidenced? And if you've already gone down that route, stop trying to justify your behavior by saying, well, at least my action was appropriate. No, there is no appropriate action for unrighteous anger. The action is no action. There should be nothing said or done. If that person was not the cause, apologize. And next time, stop directing your unrighteous anger towards other people. The best thing you can do is do what David does. When David is upset and angry in the Psalms, he brings it before God. God can take it. I'm not saying to, you know, curse God or blaspheme God. I'm saying in your anger, righteous or unrighteous anger, God will listen and God will be the best source of calm in your life. Now, let's talk about righteous anger. When a child does something that is deserving of your wrath, and again, if you're around children long enough, that will happen. <laughs> right? You're a teacher. There will be instances where your, your wrath is justified in that classroom, where your wrath is justified in the home. So as evidenced with God, it, wrath itself is not the problem. Anger itself is not the problem. It's unrighteous without cause. But when it is with cause, now you must have righteous action. Because the problem is when we have right, even righteous anger, it is so, such an overwhelming feeling that we do not consider what is the best approach with my anger. All we think is, what do I feel? <laughs> Which isn't really thinking. We think it is, but it's not. We're just feeling something very strongly. And we say things and we do things that we are very likely going to regret. My advice to you, is when disciplining children, do not discipline them at all in wrath. My suggestion, you're not God. You don't have the purity of heart, the perfection of soul and spirit that God has to be able to act every time righteously with righteous anger. We are more prone, even in righteous anger, to end up with unrighteous action. Very likely to do that. So my suggestion, especially children who cannot defend themselves, who will not stand up for themselves, and if they do, they get themselves in more trouble, my suggestion is do not discipline when you're angry, even if it's with cause. Even if it's justified. Wait until you are calm. How does that look? Does that child just get to do whatever they want while you're angry? No. I'm not saying you don't stop what's going on. When I'm angry, I have my children stand against the wall. I have my children go to their room at our house. I have my children sit on the couch. Uh, depending on the situation and what it was they did, if it causes me anger, unrighteous or righteous, either one doesn't matter, I, I kind of separate them from what is the problem and give myself a chance to calm down before I actually 
verbalize or enact the discipline, physical or verbal, so that when I am speaking to them to correct them, I am calm. When I am enacting physical discipline, I am calm. Because one of the most dangerous things you can do is to discipline in anger because you're assuming that the discipline is righteous, but when you're going to look back all too often and say, you know what? The discipline itself was not righteous. The cause was righteous, but I messed up with the discipline. That is going to happen a whole lot more than you're going to want to admit. So stop disciplining in anger. I talked with the parent. This was years ago. talked uh, with the parent about how they said, my child is having problems with every time they're angry, they hit their sibling, their young children. And I said, okay, let me ask you a question. When you, do, you, do you spank your children when you're disciplined? He says, yes, I do. And I said, all right, yeah, a lot of parents do. I understand that. Uh, so let me ask you this. Do you, when you spank your child, wait until you're calm, or do you spank your child immediately after they're, they've committed a wrong? He says, immediately I spank them. If they've done wrong, I, I take them over and I spank them right away. I said, all right, so when you spank them, would you say that you are usually angry or calm when you spank them? And he thought for a while. He said, well, I guess if I was to be honest, uh, if I'm spanking them right away, I'm still angry when I spank them. And I said, exactly. You're just, that child is repeating what you're doing. <laughs> the, the answer is not to, to stop correcting, whether physical or verbal. The answer is to stop doing it in anger because you are training that child now to, in their anger, hit, it was a younger sibling. The boy was hitting his younger brother. And by the way, this person doesn't even go to our church. I was talking to this person. Uh, they, don't, they don't even live in Connecticut. They, they are not members of this church. And, and I said, so that's the problem. You are showing your child that it's okay to hit people in anger. Well, I'm, I'm the adult. I'm the dad. I have the right to spank. Sure you do, but you don't have the right to abuse. And so your child isn't seeing it as discipline. Your child is seeing it as abuse, and your child is returning the favor to their younger brother <laughs> who's getting hit all the time by the older one. You see, the problem with a lot of adults is that's exactly how it looked for them when they were children. They were abused. They were hit out of anger. And so when they become adults, they say, I don't want to abuse my children the way I was abused, so I'm not going to discipline them at all. I'm not going to spank them at all. What they fail to understand is you can spank and do so in a proper way. They've never seen that happen, and they don't know it exists. All they think is you either spank or be spanked in anger, or you don't spank at all. I'm going to choose the not at all. So now they allow the child to do whatever they want. That child is spoiled. That child is self-destructive, and they think they're doing good for that child because they've chosen to not discipline in anger. I commend them for not wanting to abuse their child, but without correction, they're allowing their child to abuse themselves. There is a happy medium, adults. That happy medium is correct and discipline outside of anger. Now, for those of you who don't have children or who work with children that are not your own, well, then obviously spanking is off the table, right? I hope that's a given. You don't, you don't put your hands on anyone else's child. And I, I would even strongly suggest grandparents have a very serious conversation with the parents before they ever put their hands on a grandchild. I would um, be very wary of any of my parents or my wife's parents spanking my children. I'm not saying that we haven't allowed it to happen under certain circumstances. There was one time. <laughs> there was one time. My young, I'm not going to tell you. I got four daughters. I'm not going to tell you which one. You can guess, but I'm not going to tell you. One of my daughters when she was young, she was uh, like two years old. My grand, this actually happened to both. 
my wife's mother and my mother. So for my wife's mother, this happened first, actually. We were visiting, and my, my wife's mother, Debbie, was holding one of my daughters, and my daughter was getting squirmy, and so she held her a little tighter, and my daughter slapped her on the face. <laughs> I mean, she's only two, but <laughs> yes. My, my mother-in-law, Debbie, didn't know what to do. She, like, took the child and handed her to my wife because she wasn't sure how to handle this. So my wife took her and took her out of the room and dealt with my daughter. Then sometime later, a few months later, we were visiting my parents. And I'll tell you, it was a different scenario. <laughs> my mom was holding the same daughter. And my daughter did it again and slapped my mom and said no. And she popped my daughter's little rear end. And my daughter looked at my mom and slapped her again. My, my mom popped her a little harder. And my, I think, I could be wrong, but I think there was a third slap, and my mom popped her a third time. At that point, my daughter started crying and never slapped my mother ever again. I was okay with that. That would be one of those unique situations like, yeah, you know, honey, you slap my mom, you get what you get, you know, and don't complain. So tough, tough beans. But So I'm not saying there aren't situations where it may not happen. But, but look, normally you don't put your hands on someone else's kid, right? Now, there are other ways, though, that we do discipline children in anger that can cause just as much trauma and abuse as spanking in anger. So I'd like to turn to a passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. What is that? That is... Have righteous anger, but do not have unrighteous action. That is what that's saying. It is okay to have righteous anger with cause. To have an emotional response towards a wrong that has been towards you or a wrong that you have seen. And as a Christian man or woman, because you love this person, they have wronged someone else, you want to correct it. They have wronged themselves, you need to correct it, right? It is okay to have an emotional response of anger towards wrong. That's not a sin. Make sure that the action following it is also not a sin. And by the way, that doesn't mean no action. Being angry and sinning not doesn't mean do nothing. Because, again, Matthew 18, when you've been offended, confront them. And the confrontation will eventually result in a separation of relationship if the person doesn't rectify the problem. So there are actions that should be taken when wrong has been done and you feel angry. Make sure the actions are justified towards the person who deserves it in a righteous manner that helps them find success. Because we're almost done, I'm going to end with this. Discipline is not to correct behavior. Because if all you're doing is correcting behavior, then you are creating a wolf in sheep's clothing. On the outside, they will do what you say because they don't want to be disciplined. But on the inside, they're a wolf waiting for their opportunity to jump, to attack, to run, to rebel. So many parents get this wrong, which is why so many children, I never would have guessed that child would run from God. I never would have guessed that child would be rebellious towards their parents. I'll tell you why. Because all the parents did for 18 years was discipline for behavior change. Actions. They just wanted to see the actions. That's all they were looking for. That's all they got. 
they didn't get anything else because they weren't looking for anything else. They didn't discipline for any other reason than stop doing that. So the child stopped, but the heart continued as it was. As adults, we have a higher calling than behavior modification, much higher calling. If my role as a teacher is just to modify the behavior of my students, I'm done. I I have no interest in the sacrifices that it requires to work in a ministry purely for behavior modification. I I do not want that life. That is not a calling I believe is on my life. Behavior modification is a big lie. So many churches think they're doing a great job because all they're attaining is behavior modification in adults and teens and children. They think they're doing a great job until everything falls apart. The family, the church, the child. Then they scratch their head and said, what happened? Didn't see that coming. Well, if the heart's still the problem, the heart's still the problem. (laughs) You can only modify behavior so long and so far and so much. Stop behavior modification. Stop disciplining to change behavior. Discipline your child, whether your child or someone else's child, for their success. You see, if it's behavior modification, you discipline harder, faster, and more severe. Because that will break anyone. Even the most stubborn of person, if you have a, you just have to increase the harshness of the consequence. So that at some point, they say, the action is not worth the consequence. Now, most adults aren't willing to go that far with really stubborn kids. They're only willing to go so far. And like, I can't spank you any harder without abusing you. I can't take a switch to you without abusing you, right? I can't do what you need to, be, to modify your behavior so those stubborn kids get away with everything. The non-stubborn kids, they can have behavior modification, and it doesn't take very severe action. You just have to learn for that child what is the action severe enough to modify their behavior, and then you think you found success. You think you're a great teacher. You think you're a great parent. You think you're a great grandparent because you were able to discover what consequence was severe enough to modify this child's behavior. But no, you're not a success. You're a failure. Unfortunately, you will not discover that until it's too late to do anything. And that child will get older, and then there is no consequence severe enough that you can enact on that adult child that will cause them to continue doing right. Because their heart always was and always will be what it was because you never addressed that. You just addressed the action. So discipline is to help a child find success. That will look different for every child. That's a lot harder to do. That's a lot harder to maintain. That's a lot harder to enact in, in, in various ways that are not going to be the same every day for the same child. Definitely not the same every day for different children because different children are different. Gender, age, personality, experiences, the friends they're around, the friends they're not around, the friends they have, the friends they don't have. All of these things are factors into how you help that child find success and how you help correct them. And so you have to do a lot more research. You have to be a lot more patient, and you have to be a lot more wise to discipline towards success than you do towards behavior modification. Behavior modification just takes the courage to do what is hard To get that child to say, the consequence is not worth the action. Anyone can do that. It's really hard to have the wisdom to know what the child needs to find success. Will that include physical discipline? Yes, I think it will at certain ages. 
within reason, righteous anger, and righteous action. Will it include conversations? Most definitely. Will it include taking things away or giving things to the child? Yes, all of the above. A combination of all of these things. It will include all of them. Change your mindset first. Ask for wisdom. And say, God, help me to discipline a child towards success, not just to modify their behavior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those here, the chance we had to consider your word this morning and how it could apply towards disciplining children. I pray that we would not step over the line into abuse, but always discipline towards success and discipline with both righteous anger and righteous action. In Jesus' name, amen.